You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Heavenly Father, I pray at this time that ultimately, not my words, but Jesus, your Son, the living Word, would go forth and take root in our hearts and in our lives, for you are the source of our life and our salvation. And it is in your name that I pray. Amen. We have great lessons that are placed before us this morning and the opportunity to reflect on this portion of Paul's letter to the Corinthians and also the fifth chapter of Matthew's gospel, that which we know as the Beatitudes. Uh, And as we reflect on these lessons, one of the things that they hold out to us is the paradoxical freedom that is the Christian life. Uh, the paradoxical way in which you and I experience freedom, the way that we experience security, the way that we experience life, and begin by reflecting on this portion from Matthew, and there are a number of things happening um, contextually and otherwise that, that draw our attention to what is being expressed. If you remember, this immediately follows Jesus being driven out into the wilderness uh, and the temptation which he was, over, was able to overcome on yours and my behalf. And following the temptation, uh, his public ministry begins and he is healing and people's lives are being freed and people's lives are being restored uh, and people's lives are being changed and great crowds uh, are gathering around him. And then at the very beginning of his ministry, these words of the Beatitudes come, which are uh, a manifesto. Uh, of what the paradoxical nature um, of the Christian life looks like. And recently, uh, a friend of mine, and uh, I'll go ahead and um, hat up, uh, the friend is uh, Mike Weeks, um, so since he's sitting here, it feels sort of a friend of mine, um, you know who you are, um, it was uh, Mike Weeks, but Mike was preaching, and one of the things um, that he was uh, talking about was imposter syndrome. Uh, And I think that's something perhaps that we can all um, relate to, imposter syndrome, uh, having to present a a certain um, facade, a certain manifestation of ourselves, and and the fear, of course, that people will see behind the curtain of our projection of ourself. And uh, he mentioned, and I would agree with him, that it's, it's common to the human condition, um, imposter syndrome. And as he talked about it, it, it made me wonder and it made me question, and I, I mentioned it in context of our um, lessons this morning, is where does that come from? Uh, again, I, th- I feel like it's something that we all know and experience, but, but what is the source of it uh, is my question. And thinking about it, thought about uh, th- this it's rhetorical. Um, so thinking about this particular thinking about this particular question, I think certainly we might say pride. Pride is certainly one of the things. Um, uh, pride in our, um, our our fear uh, of of being exposed. Our desire, if we're honest, of uh, of wanting to be better than others. At least some people. Um, and the the concern that we might be revealed not to have all the answers or not to have it all together, not to be quite as good. Um, as we present ourselves to be the, basically the fear of being exposed. And I think that's probably um, part of it, but I, I, in thinking about it more, I think it's actually something beyond that, uh, beyond pride, and pride is just a, a manifestation of something which is deeper still and something which tends to be uh, the source of, of most of our issues, and that is fear. Uh, 
uh, fear, uh, that, that fear um, of being exposed, that fear of being revealed. And if you think back to the very beginning of the Bible, to Adam and Eve and the original um, fall, what we see is, is their desire to be like God, uh, to have it um, together, to, to be independent and not dependent. Uh, and we see in the fall and in the very beginning what happens, if you remember, um, after the fall, we hear um, that they are naked and they are afraid uh, and they are hiding uh, from God. They're naked, they are afraid, they are hiding from God, and it's at that point that they, if you remember, um, make skins for themselves to cover themselves, Uh, and thus begins um, the human effort um, to cover ourselves. And I bring that up because one of the things that the Beatitudes points out to us initially uh, is that the place of our security and the place of our life and the place of our hope is not in covering ourselves but it's in our dependence upon God. And one of the things um, that Paul, not only in this writing to the Corinthians, but throughout his writings, if you remember, he often uses the imagery and the invitation to you and to me to put on Christ. Rather than the accumulation of the skins we put together for ourselves, um, instead to be clothed in Christ uh, and the merits uh, and in the strength uh, of Jesus rather than in our own. And as I say that, that doesn't mean that we don't have merit. It doesn't mean we don't have abilities and, and, and tremendous gifts and value. Um, we, we very definitely, uh, the human condition is imbued with all of those things. Um, and yet, in our attempts to justify ourselves in relationship with God, to justify um, our salvation, we, we chase after um, false promises. I mentioned um, earlier today um, a, a movie in 2001 It was described as a mini-classic by one blogger, so it must be true, Um, but I can remember watching it years ago, and I don't know, (laughs) I might get a lot of blank stares here. Do any of y'all remember that movie, A Knight's Tale? Thank you. Uh, You know, shockingly, 7.30, um, not a lot of people um, familiar with A Knight's Tale at our 7.30 service. Uh, Knight's Tale, 2001, the basic premise of the story is is this, Um, Heath Ledger, uh, of course, uh, is, is the main character. He's a squire um, to a knight. Uh, he is a commoner. Uh, and the knight dies, and he and his friends come up with this idea that he is going to take on the identity um, of the knight. Um, and so thus begins um, his imposter um, syndrome as he takes on the identity of the knight. But um, thinking that the word that the knight had actually died might spread, or someone might see them and say, hey, you're, you're not him. He comes up with, with a new name, um, Sir Ulrich von Lichtenstein. What can go wrong um, with that name? And so um, it's a movie. Suspended disbelief is important here. Um, and, and so as the, as the movie goes on, he takes on this new um, identity. And of course, to be a knight's tale, you need a quest uh, and there needs to be a proper villain, and there needs to be um, a fair maiden, and there are all of these uh, as it goes on. Um, but one of the things uh, I mentioned there is the proper villain in it, and uh, the proper villain is Count Admar. Rufus Sewell is the actor who plays Count Admar. And Count Admar has this great, terrible line uh, in the movie. Again, he is, he is the villain, and like a proper villain, he's also very, very skilled and very able um, as well. Uh, and in the jousting matches and otherwise, when he would defeat someone, 
Um, his words of condescension, which would rain down upon them, were these, you have been weighed, you have been measured, and you have been found wanting. <laughs> what, a, what a terrible, effective line. Uh, you have been weighed, you have been measured, uh, and you have been found wanting. And I mentioned that all in the context of um, imposter syndrome because that's, that's it at the end, isn't it? Uh, we're afraid that we'll be weighed. We are afraid that we will be measured. We'll be afraid um, that we will be found wanting. And so we try all these um, various means to address that need within the human condition. And Jesus, in this portion uh, from the Beatitudes, one of the things that we see that the first four primarily speak to a dependence um, upon God. And in that dependence, rather than our becoming um, less Um, we become more. And that dependence, um, rather than joy being drawn from us, we are filled with joy. And as those, after those first four, we see the outpouring um, of God's grace in our lives as that begins to work. I I wrote uh, to some friends recently, some people that I really love and admire and have tremendous respect for, and I I asked them a question. uh, And the question is, you know, what um, what in your mind are the essential theological underpinnings of the gospel, the essential theological underpinnings that that ground um, our ministry as a church uh, and holding out um, that message of good news. Uh, And one of of my friends wrote these words, which I think are incredibly powerful and um, insightful. And one of the things that he began, he says, you know, the things that we do, ministry-wise and otherwise, that are not rooted in the grace of God ultimately become exhausting and ineffective. Uh, again, the ways in we attempt to clothe ourselves without the grace of God, these ultimately for us become um, exhausting and ineffective. But then he goes on and he writes this, the life of a local church is, when embodied accurately and properly, always active personal love. But this life of the church needs for it to work, to be grounded in the gospel's unique claim that God loves us in our pain, in our compulsive acting out, and in our repetitive failures. I think that's worth reading again as we try to think about the various ways in which we try to clothe ourselves. He says, the gospel's unique claim that God loves us in our pain in our compulsive acting out, in our repetitive failures. When the cure of souls is undertaken in the conviction that He came into the world not to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through Him, then that cure can actually um, take place. Then that cure um, can actually uh, take place. That message of the gospel which we hear in Matthew this morning that we hear also in Paul's letter um, to the Corinthians of a God um, who comes into the world not to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through Him. A God who comes that He might clothe us, a God who desires not to make us less, but to make us more. And again, the paradox of Christian freedom and security is that it is found in our reliance and our dependence upon the grace of God. Uh, And in that, um, we find ourselves, rather than depleted, we find ourselves replenished. Uh, A final um, story, it's a story, a true story, uh, about a man who was a Polish 
resistance fighter in World War II, uh, and he was captured uh, by Russian troops, uh, held as a prisoner of war. He, along with the others, uh, was later tried. Uh, and one of the things that the uh, soldiers would do to the prisoners is uh, they, would, uh, they would isolate them, uh, but then they would put them through this rigorous period of interrogation in order to be able to elicit from them at the trial the confessions the court wanted. Um, so they would basically um, soften them up, um, if you will, make them um, malleable, prepare them. And the method that was pursued was placing the soldiers under such pressure uh, ultimately to break them spiritually by exposing their weaknesses and their character flaws and to destroy their integrity and leaving them quite open to suggestion and influence and that they would be ready to make the confessions that the court desired for the verdict the court desired to hand down. Uh, and of this group, one person did not break. Uh, his name was Stipulkowski. Uh, and the reason um, he gave um, for his uh, not breaking wasn't his own personal strength or, or virtue, but he said this, he said, as a Christian, he'd continually come to God as he actually was, and in coming to God as he actually was, um, had also been forgiven. He had repeatedly come to God as he actually was, uh, and he, experienced, he repeatedly experienced the grace and mercy, the forgiveness, the restoration of God. And he went on to say um, this um, quite humbly, when they showed me I was a coward, I already knew it. When they shook their finger at me with accusations that I had filthy thoughts and lewd feelings, I already knew that. When they showed me a reflection of myself with all my inadequacies, I could tell them, but gentlemen, I'm much worse than that. You see, he concluded, I have been taught since I can remember that it was unnecessary for me to justify myself. One has already done this for me, Jesus Christ. Paul writes to the church in Corinth um, that wants to boast in itself and justify itself, and that's uh, at the heart of imposter syndrome from humanity, uh, the fear that we're not enough, um, that we don't measure up, and the attempts uh, among ourselves um, to justify ourselves. And what we hear and why the gospel is good news is that we have been justified, but we're justified in putting on um, Jesus Christ. We're justified in being recipients um, of God's grace, and that we're clothed with a clothing which doesn't wear out uh, and which will not be taken away. And as we hear that this day, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we give you great thanks and praise that in Jesus um, your son, you were made low uh, upon the cross in order that we might be lifted up. And you know our various ways and means in which we attempt to justify ourselves before you. By the power of your spirit, draw us to the hope and the security found in Jesus, your son, and that we might be clothed um, in his righteousness. And in that clothing, we might find the joy and the freedom which you make available to us. All this we ask, all this we offer, in your name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. 
You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us for one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. 